All right. Uh, today we're closing out our series on Mark. And part of today's teaching will give you a glimpse of what I've been processing um, this past year. When I say this past year, not just this calendar year, but this, I guess, since last um, May till now, just different things I've been processing. And just thinking about how the state of the church, in the global church, and where we are as an individual church. And so at the end of this teaching, we're going to do something um, practical before we take a communion together. Um, so we're going to actually be doing a special prayer at the end. Um, so here's what I've been processing. As the size of churches uh, shrink across the country, um, the population of some cities um, continues to increase. Um, Berkeley is no different. Um, just by a small number, maybe about 700 people more than what it was before. But I've been reflecting on what does it mean to expand the kingdom of God versus the church growth? Um, what does it mean to expand the kingdom of God um, versus church growth? And I'm amazed at the people that are still trying to, um, trying pre-COVID methods to get back to pre-COVID systems, you know, both in and outside the church. Um, some are trying even new methods to get back to pre-COVID realities. Um, so when people talk about church sizes, they still have this weird conversation. Um, they'll say, hey, Pastor Garfield, so what's the size of your church? And they'll say things like, pre-COVID, uh, we had this many people. And so they never had the actual current conversation, still living in the, in the past. And if we had 5,000 people in this room today, I would still be having the same conversation that I'm having with you because there is a goal in mind. Um, so what is this goal? Well, the goal of Christianity is to expand the kingdom of God. But we first have to understand that the expansion of the kingdom of God and church growth are not the same thing. Two different things. Let me explain. As it pertains to the church, let's establish first that we are the church, people, not the building. We are the church. Now, if every seat was occupied in this room each week, it would be tempting to suggest that we've done our job because we're at capacity, right? Yes? Okay. But that's church growth. We also do the same thing for, you know, with our small groups. We've established systems that when we get to um, 10 or 12 people, we say that we've reached capacity, church growth. But how could we be at capacity with God's work when there's still unsaved people in our city? Unsaved people in our apartment complex, our jobs, our home, our school, even at the grocery store. Is our church at capacity or is that we haven't released leaders to fulfill God's purpose in their lives? Now, I don't know... Um, when Jesus will return. But I do know something that he said in Matthew 24, verse 14. 
He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So there's something that we have to do as a church before the end come. He tells us this. So how can the gospel be proclaimed if everyone in our churches are Christians and people are not being released into the world to make disciples? So church growth puts a limit on the expansion of the kingdom of God. That's what it does. Now, as it pertains to the kingdom of God, Jesus came to establish his kingdom on the earth. How do we know this? Well, um, Luke 4, 18 um, and to 19, we'll see this, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the word preached simply means to announce good news. Nothing spectacular. Announce good news. So it has nothing to do with you having a microphone in your hand. So we can all preach without a microphone. So the goal is to announce good news about the kingdom of God. And the fruit of that announcement is the church. Specifically, church growth. So now we have the capital C church. It has been multiplied into millions of smaller social units we call local church, just like this. And every local church, you know, just like we have each individual believer, it has a distinct purpose and how we love and serve our community. We are called Emerge um, Berkeley to serve a distinct purpose here in the city. Now, we serve a missionary God. The Father sent his Son, and then his Son sent the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit sends us into our community. So regardless of what we do to earn a living, our real vocation, our true vocation, is that of a missionary. Any missionaries in the house? Okay. You don't have to raise your hand. You are a missionary. <laughs> now, because I don't uh, do these sermons hoping that you take good notes, have great discussions in your small groups, and then we start this process again on Sunday. I'm hoping that you have good information so that you can be a part of expanding the kingdom of God. So what are you doing with the information that you have about Jesus? Because that's the true question. What are you doing with this? You're taking good notes. You're having, you know, good QT and all these different things. Now, what are you doing with that information that you have? Because there's something that has to be done. So my goal for today is to focus on the importance of our individual story in the expansion of the kingdom of God. Now, I've been trying to um, tone down on my sermon titles by using um, I guess more sophisticated ones like sharing your story, but I couldn't help this one. So my title today is oikos. Now, it's a Greek word, oikos. You might know oikos as a popular brand of yogurt. But 
I'd like to introduce what many theologians and church historians refer to as the Oikos Principle. The Oikos Principle focuses on re-engaging the people that God has already placed in our lives. Not like the yogurts that I placed in my fridge that's been sitting there for almost a month because my family, not a big fan of, you know, yogurts. But the word oikos is used 120 times in, uh, throughout the New Testament. Um, and it's most often translated to mean house or household. So not the structural piece, but the inhabitants. So when we talk about oikos, we're not talking about a structure. We're talking about people. Just as we say with the church, we're not talking about the building. We're talking about people. Now, anthropologists have identified three universal uh, units of every um, society and, and culture throughout history. Um, one is common kinship. And um, common kinship has to do with family ties. So the culturally defined relationships between individuals who are family um, throughout our ancestors. The second one is uh, common community. It's a social group whose members have something in common. So we share something in common. We actually come to service together. Um, that's a common community. We're in the same geographic location. The third is common interests. Members understand and they act with a specific goal in mind. Now, why am I talking about oikos? Can we say that together? Oikos. Yeah, it sounds good. Oikos. Yeah. In the New Testament, the oikos principle became oikos evangelism. This is the approach in which Jesus used to expand the kingdom of God, which populated the church. Um, so, and the reason why this is important is because barriers to the gospel um, um, were removed and the early church grew because the good news was shared by people within an existing community, oikos. Think about the last recommendation you gave to someone. You have that? Think about it. Think about the last recommendation you gave to someone. Do you have that recommendation? Yes? Yes? The last recommendation? Okay. Now I want you to take a moment and share that recommendation with someone next to you, if you choose to. Share what that recommendation was that you gave to someone. See, we, um, something was real funny out there, right? <laughs> we recommend all kinds of things in life. Um, restaurants, um, vacation destinations. Um, some people often recommend K-drama. Anyone recommend those K-dramas? I see your hands like, yep, I recommend K-drama. <laughs> Um, I, was, I was talking with uh, Rebbe uh, the other day about hiking spots, and she said, um, Big Sur. You guys been there before? And she's like, yeah. Never been before, but she's like, it's a good place to go. But most of the recommendations we give are with people that we know. We even recommend churches. Um, some of you are here because of a recommendation. And these are recommendations that we, you know, we can't keep to ourselves. Now, if I said to you, 
turn to your unsaved neighbor and share why you love Jesus, the ask would become difficult because our spiritual pursuits are often the least recommended. Now, one of the things you might look around and say, well, if you say turn to my neighbor and, you know, my unsaved neighbor, the question becomes, is my neighbor unsaved? And if I don't have an unsaved neighbor, what's next? God calls us to go home and tell people how Jesus has changed our lives. Maybe you're here today or watching online and you have not had that experience um, where you had this life change to follow Jesus. So we're going to look at the story of a man whose life was changed. And maybe today your life will be changed and you'll decide to accept Christ in your life. And then you guys are wondering, like, when are you going to ever read a passage of scripture? We're going to be looking in Mark chapter 5 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Mark 5. And in the, the chapters leading up to this story, the crowds are following Jesus and it's growing in numbers. We also see that Jesus chose some disciples to follow him. So he's traveling all over and he's teaching, performing miracles, meeting people, and changing lives. Now Jesus and his disciples had just gotten off this boat. And they've gotten on this boat and there was a storm. And the disciples, they freaked out. The storm was there. And Jesus got up while, while they're freaking out. They were saying he was sleeping, wake him up. And he said, peace be still. So he calmed the storm using his words. So it was nighttime that they were traveling, so it's dark. Now, that moment amazed these people. Now, I want you to... Picture the story that I'm about to read, and I want you to picture the story with no street lights, completely dark. Can we imagine this dark place? Yes? Okay. So I'm going to read this story, and it's dark, and as I'm reading this story, I want you to listen to the words in this dark place next to the shore. Mark 5, verses 1 to 13. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately they, they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bring him um, anymore, and not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Again, this is dark. So no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. It's still dark. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. 
So he gave them permission, and unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down to the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So imagine all that's taking place, and it's dark, right? So let's focus briefly on the demon-possessed man before his freedom. At some point in his life, demons took possession of his body. We don't know the circumstances leading up to that moment. So he is controlled by an evil spirit. Um, he's violent and would attack others, lived a life of rejection, and now is in isolation among the tombs and was self-destructive. He's an example or at least an object lesson of how far the sinful nature can take a person. He's an example of the total depravity of humanity. Of humanity. So he shows us what sin can do, how destructive sin can be, and shows us the need for Jesus. Again, it's dark, and this guy who's possessed is there. And then you're seeing 2,000 pigs is now going towards a steep area and just jumping off into the sea. We also learned that people tried to help this man. Nothing worked. And since they can't help him, they figure, well, let's control him. So they put shackles and chains on this man. And again, he broke them. So the demonic world had complete control of this man. So obviously it would take a miracle to set this man free. When you find yourself being controlled by sin, whatever those things are, porn, um, fornication, um, anger, whatever those things are, when you find yourself being controlled by sin, you need a divine miracle from God. And that's what Jesus showed up to do. We're reminded in 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Regardless of the control that Satan believes he has over your life, the addiction, depression, guilt, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and that's what he did in Mark 5. We see this transformation in, the, in this man's life in the first 13 verses. When we become Christians, it's a beautiful story to share of how Jesus transformed our lives from a destructive path. Can you guys think about a destructive path in your life that you were heading down before you got saved? You're like, some of you are like, I'm too, you know, too young to have a destructive path. But others are like, trust me, if you see me at 13, you would know. But our transformation is not for us alone. The transformation in our lives is an invitation for others to experience Jesus. I'm going to say that again. The transformation in our lives is an invitation for others to experience Jesus. Because look at what happens in verses 14 and 15 of Mark 5. The herdsmen fled. Now, now I'm going to pause for a moment right there. So these guys, it's their pigs. 
And if you see 2,000 pigs just jumping off a cliff for no reason, I mean, that's a scary sight in the dark, right? But it says, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the lesion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, that must have been some sight for the herdsmen. It didn't say they just went to the city. They said it went to the city and the country. So they're broadcasting this thing to say, here's what we just witnessed. You know, not just that this man, you know, recovered, but that the, the, uh, the spirit that was in this man is now in these pigs. So the man receives the, his miracle, but when the people came, they didn't simply come to see the man. They came to see Jesus. The transformation became the invitation for others to experience Jesus. So don't miss the transformation in this story. When the local people showed up, they see this guy in his right mind. Now, someone who had been tormenting them and someone who they've tried to chain, they now see him in his right mind and he's now hanging around with Jesus and his disciples. They saw this man transformed from who he used to be and now he's becoming the person Jesus desired for him to be. Just as Jesus healed this man and changed this, you know, this man from who he was, he also changes us. This gospel, this good news that we share says that we cannot change ourselves. Can't happen. But let's take it a step further. People cannot change you. Now, I'm grateful for, for my wife and I'm grateful for the leaders in my life. But it is the power of God that transforms us. Amen? See, people tried to help him out. They tried to chain him, and it didn't work. See, when nothing is humanly possible, Jesus steps in to remind us why he came to earth. See, before Jesus came to earth, there was the law, the Old Testament. Do everything to fix you. Let me fix me because I know what's wrong with me. We have to say this sometimes, right? I know, I know what's wrong with me. Let, me. let me fix me. But our human efforts are only temporary in our avoidance of sin. We need Jesus. So we can only do things by ourselves for so long. We need Jesus. There's only so much we can do in our own strength. So the prophets, they started to look forward to a day where Jesus would change people. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is something the prophets were looking forward to. God had promised to do something new in us through Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Because of Jesus, we are no longer slaves to sin. We're given a new way to live. We get to live the way that God intended us for us to live from the beginning. 
So we can all agree that our lives would have been much different. And we, we saw some nodding heads like, yes. So even though we can see that our lives would have been much different from, you know, before we become a Christian, today we're still not perfect. And guess what? Tomorrow we won't be perfect. And Ten years from now, we still won't be perfect. But Jesus continues to remind us that he's changing us day by day. Day by day. This is our story that's worth sharing. That even though we're not perfect, even though you will see me make mistakes, Jesus is changing me day by day. So I have a story to share. You have a story to share. And that's the story that we keep sharing. Now, for some of you, you might find yourself in the same place as the townspeople. You're confused or maybe you're curious. You see the transformation in someone's life, but you don't understand why you hear us talk about Jesus. But you're not experiencing anything significant in your life, nothing that you can say there's this real change. For some, you actually need to make a decision to follow Jesus. And that could be your story today. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, isn't it funny how day by day nothing changes? But when we look back, everything is different. You know, sometimes we look around and we're saying, I'm trying to change this way in my life. And sometimes it doesn't feel like anything is happening. But when you look back five years ago, you're like, oh, man. It's like looking at your old Facebook pictures, Instagram pictures. Some of you guys have never even had a Facebook account. You're like, that's for old people. I'm on Facebook. I don't care what you say. But, if it, you know, it's, it's like that, uh, you know, that book. Like, I remember when, it, you know, got married and go to, uh, you know, my wife's, um, her, my in-laws. And she pulls out the album. You know, your friends show up and it's like, why can't you show the new picture? Let's look at this baby picture, you know. And you're like, man, thank God for Jesus. And so if you're like, oh, thank God for uh, the you know, new glasses or contacts, because you see those old big glasses, bifocals. That's the way with our lives sometimes, our, our, the, the change. We're saying, well, I don't see anything significant. But you're like, man, if I, could, if I look back five years, I see how much I was living in sin. That's what C.S. Lewis was saying. This didn't happen overnight. It's day by day. The transformation in our lives is day by day. The transformation in your life is evidence that Jesus is real, and it's an invitation that others need to experience Jesus in their lives. But here's the thing. Your story doesn't end with the transformation. That's where it begins. The gospel of Jesus is worth recommending to your friends. See, that's where it begins. There's a difference between sharing something and recommending something. Earlier, I asked you to think about the last recommendation you gave. Now, I've been to a few restaurants that's worth recommending, and it's based on some of your recommendations. You know, people really want me to try something they believe that I'd enjoy. But then there are some restaurants that's not worth recommending. And 
every once in a while you go to Yelp and you can see the one star and you know why. The spiritual recommendation in my life is worth recommending. It's beyond sharing. When you experience Jesus, you're saying, no, I want you to experience Jesus. You know, I want you to try him. It's, it's beyond just sharing, it's more recommending. When we go back to our story, we see Jesus getting in this boat because, he, again, he gets off the boat, sees this man, this man gets his miracle, and now Jesus is getting in the boat. Look at verses 18 and 19. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. No surprise, right? The man wants to go with Jesus. And it makes sense because Jesus was the first person to help him without actually having to chain him, bound him. It's human nature in wanting to remain connected with something or someone that works. You know, you've had some friends in the past, and then you get some friends that really work. You know, you, you know it's, it's kind of like the way you used to live, you're like, I can't live this way anymore. And sometimes you're like, I need some new friends. And I'm not talking about even you being a sinner and you getting saved. I'm just talking about you just look in your life and you're like, I just need some new friends. You guys ever done that before? Well, <laughs> I guess I'm the only one that ever looked at my life and said, I need some new friends. <laughs> Maybe you're saying, I just need some friends. <laughs> but it's human nature to wanting something new. This is the heartbeat of today's teaching. The words that Jesus shared with this man is, these are, it's, these are the same words that he gives to us. Go home to your friends. See, I've been sharing with uh, several members within our church that it's important for us to invite people to, not just to come to a church service, but to experience what you're experiencing with Jesus. See, it doesn't matter how many marketing specialists we have. And by the way, we're in need of a volunteer marketing director. But it doesn't matter how many marketing specialists we have. I don't know your friends. They know you and who you used to be. See, when you share your story, it introduces people to an experience with Jesus because they can validate your past and your present. See, your unsaved friends can easily recognize the difference between your sinful past and how you're trying to live now. They can say, oh, I remember how you used to be. You're doing that church thing now. They can see that difference, even if they're not a Christian. Here are three truths about our neighbors, the ones who don't attend church. Number one is that people don't prioritize church. 
Um, surveys say that the average church attendance is 1.3 times per month. So, I know, I'm not the point there, I'm the one. If Christians are not attending and we're the ones the world is watching, why would they leave their homes? See, church is not at the top priority for many people. People don't prioritize church. Number two, people don't trust the church. Obviously, we can point to all these different church scandals that we see and how the media magnifies the failures of the church as if they're waiting. Like, please mess up so I can broadcast. And I understand that these things can create a distrust. But that wasn't the point of the story. Jesus did not ask the disciples to go and preach to this man's friends. Jesus told the delivered man, you go and tell your friends. Your friends trust your story before they even trust Jesus. So don't disqualify your story. Now, I'm not suggesting that your story is greater than the power of Jesus. I'm suggesting that in our text, the people came to see Jesus after they heard the story. So why aren't you sharing your story? The third thing is that people don't think about church. It's just pretty simple. Most of your friends, neighbors, coworkers, um, they wake up on Sunday and they don't think about coming to church. They're not ignoring church. They simply don't even think about it. Christ's words to this demon-possessed man is a fresh call to all of us. Go home to your friends. When was the last time you came to church and you're like, oh, my unsaved neighbor showed up? They woke up and just felt like coming to church. I mean, when's the last time you see that? Not very often, right? Let's not risk our friends missing out on Jesus because we didn't believe our story is worth sharing. Look at what Jesus did not tell this man to do. He didn't say, convince people to believe in Jesus. He also didn't say, answer all their spiritual questions. He didn't say, explain the Bible or call out their sin. Jesus gave one instruction to this transformed man. Go home, tell your friends. Go home and share your story. We all have spheres of influence. We um, meet people and we make friends. Um, here's one research um, from Barna, the good old Barna. And it talks about where we actually meet people. It says 42% uh, of us meet people on the job. 35% meet other friends or friend of a friend. 29% our neighbors, and 28% K through 12. We give these friends that we have recommendations all the time. But what would it look like if we started sharing our story of how Jesus has changed our lives? But not just that, but also make it a recommendation as the, you know, just as this transformation in our lives. What would that look like? Because look at what happened in this man's town in verse 20. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis 
how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. The stories we um, can share about Jesus changing our lives will allow people to marvel. Saying, I can see what he did. So we have to change our mindset and stop seeing the church as a building and start sharing our stories of how Jesus changed our lives. Then we can see our cities changed. So Christ, he's call, he calls us to himself, and then he reminds us that our story is unique because of him. You might be thinking, well, there's nothing worth sharing about my story. But I want you to consider this. When your shameful past is not worth talking about, we always have an opportunity to talk about our present or even the future. Sometimes you meet people and they're saying, let's not talk about it. It's too bad. Well, if you can't rely on that, look at where you are right now and where you'd like to be. You can always share that. There's a blueprint of how Jesus accomplished his plan. What we discovered in this series is that he called ordinary people to himself, people who would be considered the uh, lowest among the social class, uneducated fishermen, and even a prostitute whose name was not worth mentioning. And yet, here we are, more than 2,000 years later, worshiping Jesus because of these social outcasts. Your story matters. It matters to your oikos. So who are our people? And how do we pray for them? Okay, you know we often say we have our people. Our oikos consists of all the people we encounter on a regular basis. Family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, nail technician. You get the picture, right? Everyone in this room, or even those who are watching, has a distinct and measurable oikos. Now I have an, a graph, an image, so you can see oikos. Oikos. Some of us, especially who are married, we have overlapping oikoses. But each one also has a distinct and separate oikos. You know, when you're roommates, you all know the same people. But you also have people that only you know. Like, my sons have a distinct and separate oikos. They're gamer friends. Never met them. And they'll say, that's my good friend. I've known him since I was 13. Statistically, majority of us have between 8 to 15 people in our oikos who are unchurched, unsaved, and dechurched. 8 to 15. And here's how we're going to close uh, this, this sermon. I want you to see that image. And what I want you to do is I want you to think about one person from each category that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe they're also unchurched, dechurched. Think about an unsaved neighbor unsaved relative, an unsaved friend of a friend, co-worker, someone in school, a friend. I want to think about one person in that group that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. 
And now I want to take a moment and write that name down or type it in your device. I told you earlier we're going to have a practical ending. The worship team can come forward. Because what we're going to do, we're going to write these names down, and we're going to take a moment to, to pray over these names. So when you have these names written down, you're going to have opportunities for different conversations. And when they're speaking with you, I want you to listen. Listen to them speak. Don't try to fix them or give them advice unless they ask for it. Just listen. But when you have the opportunity, you help them understand their acceptance by God. So our focus in this season is to get back to the basics of Christian living. People. Love God. Love people. Participate in the expansion of God's kingdom. But more importantly, serve faithfully in your local church. It starts right now. So you, you, have, you, have, you have those names somewhere? Yes? And I don't want today to be the only day that we, we'll pray over these names. But let this also be something we can do on a regular basis. Because if we're saying that, you know, that Jesus is real to us, and if we're saying that we enjoy the life that we now have with Jesus, why should these people be deprived of Jesus? And we can just keep praying and believe that God will do the supernatural. So I'm going to pause for a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray over those names. And then I'm going to pray over those names. And if you're comfortable, it's okay to pray out loud. So let's take a few moments to pray. Can we do that? Praying over those names. Lord, as people are still praying, I just want to pray also, God. Uh, there are people that we continue to encounter. Our neighbor relative, the person in the grocery store, school, or workplace, even our close friends, God, that don't have a relationship with you. And I'm praying, God, that in this moment, as we are putting those names before you, that you will honor our request, God, that you will touch their hearts even now, God. We want you, God, to um, allow them to experience salvation. It is your will, God, that none perish. And so, God, we're praying and that they'll accept you in their lives, surrendering all to you. So I pray, God, that you'll just um, meet them where they are right now, God. And I pray, God, that you'll just honor our prayer requests. We're praying, God, but help us to keep remembering to pray over these names that we have, God. And there are so many of them, God, and I pray, God, that you'll help us just to be faithful in praying that they'll experience the joy that we have because of you. We just love you for this, God. We give you praise in Jesus' name.